What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Guys, I'm super excited about today's podcast. We have a guest who is probably one of the most unique guests I've ever had on the podcast before. Um, he goes by Dale. Or he goes by Dale. Dale's his name. His his Instagram uh, username is the Bayou Beast uh, or the Bayou Beast Calls. So uh, Dale Bardon, uh, probably a you know French a French name. Uh, so you got that French French uh, sound to it. Uh, but I'm definitely not an expert at pronouncing French names. But um, so stay tuned for all that. It's uh, it's going to be a good one. Um, but we definitely got to jump into some updates. Um, so first thing we should talk about is the pup, man. It's a, uh, it's a lot of fun having a pup <laughs> again around here. The kids are loving them. They're getting really good with them. He's getting good with them too. Um, we're doing a lot of, he just has the natural instinct to retrieve. I throw it out there and he brings it back. Um, I definitely want to start hitting some of the training more, um, I guess more tight as opposed to just kind of like loosely going at it. Um, I've had a lot going on. That's not going to actually change. So I need to be, um, especially as I go into season and all that, I'm going to need to be, um, pretty, um, intentional about, um, what I'm training and how I'm training. But, um, it is real nice to see kind of his natural instinct to just go after something. He's real excited about it. Tennis balls. We've been using bumpers, um, you name it. He's he's great at going out there, grabbing it, and bringing it right back. So hopefully um, we can add in more of the technical stuff. Well, obviously we'll have to add in more of the technical stuff. He has not, update, he has not eaten poop again since. I've, uh, I've uh, uh, had a little bit about freaking out about um, him eating his turds twice, which is just one of the grossest things that I've, I've ever seen a puppy do. So... He hasn't done that, um, and I was about to brag on him with his crate training. I uh, hadn't had an accident in over two weeks. I fed him, gave him a bunch of water right before I recorded with the guest and went up there right before I started recording this intro to that podcast, and, um, yep, he peed in the crate. So maybe on me a little bit. He had a lot of water and not enough, not quick enough back up there to to get him um, out and uh, – and relieving himself. So, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm going to take um, my, my positive notes there and be glad that he's doing as good as he's doing. Um, but let me tell you guys, today has been, I've been running around with uh, like a chicken with my head cut off. It's that time of year again. We're almost to August. And then after August comes September. So it's, it's just go, go, go all the time. Um, working on all kinds of um, content ideas right now. Uh, me and my buddy Hunter are working on building a blind. I think I've talked about it in previous episodes, um, but it's uh, we've we got the whole blind built in his driveway, ready to go. I put a little uh, Instagram story up today, um, and so if you jump on there, you'll, you'll be able to see it. Um, but maybe I should put it so I'll, maybe I'll put it in the Facebook group too, Fellowship of the Duck Gun. If you want to see that, uh, what it looks like. Uh, it's done. So it looks super cool. Um, excited to get it out in the marsh. And now really this is the hard part because, um, my buddy's Hunter, his idea was that we're going to build it in his driveway, then disassemble it, then take all the pieces and walk it 150 yards out into a cattail marsh, private land cattail marsh, and, uh, then reassemble it. So (laughs) 
those walls are heavy. I mean, it was all we could do to carry them just around in his yard. So now uh, in the mud, in cattails and waders. So um, I'm a little doubtful about how uh, how much easier this would be than just building it all out there. But, you know, I'm uh, never afraid to try anything once. And uh, at the end, I will definitely tell you guys whether uh, my fears are true or not. So um, we'll probably do that pretty quick, get that, get it put together. That way we have plenty of time to not disturb the natural patterns of the birds before season comes in. So that's what I've been up to. And then, you know, it was just working eight hour day, jump to that, jump to the podcast. Now I'm doing this, uh, this intro for the podcast. It's 11 PM. Oh, I should mention though. I need to pen. Uh, I need to mention guys. I'm live streaming all of these on the duck gun podcast, YouTube channel, something new I've been doing. Um, and yeah, we're going to see, we're going to see where it goes. As long as there's interest, I will keep live streaming. Those have a video version of the podcast, um, for you guys as well. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try a video one here as well, just to see how it compares on the analytics compared to, um, the live stream as far as like, you know, what, what's getting the most, um, attention from you guys. So, um, that is something to definitely check out. Uh, but before we jump into the main part of the podcast, guys, we're talking about we're talking with Dale all about the crazy traditional old time way that he hunts. So I'm I'm just giving you a little teaser because it's it's actually crazy. I've never heard a lot of the things he talked he's talked about a, a lot of the different styles and and things they do. But before we jump to that, guys, let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into it. So first off guys, I got to remind you about Patreon. Uh, guys, I have a ton of off season, um, content over there, early access to hunts, um, some exclusive access to, to hunts, um, over there on the Patreon group, patreon.com slash duck and chronicles. Also I'll be doing a giveaway again this year. Um, hopefully, chasing some canvas backs on the Mississippi river. That's the plan. As long as times line up with the winner. So those are the two things you can jump over there to on patreon.com slash duck and chronicles. Um, and that, that support guys, um, definitely helps. So helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep the podcast rolling out, um, and the other content as well. So definitely, definitely appreciate you guys jumping over there. Also, like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is the perfect app for the waterfowler. I'm using it all the time. Here in the off-season, I'm, I'm just pinning places I want to go. Got a really in-depth, color-coded um, way of marking it. Probably way beyond what you need to do, but it's just something cool and fun to do. And when you lock in that spot, it feels oh so good. So check them out, guys. Onyx, you won't regret it. Also, give a big thanks to, also like to give a big thanks to Final Approach, um, and guys, final approach is the one-stop shop for the waterfowlers. They've got awesome decoys. They're coming out with new decoys in the last couple of years. They got even some more coming out this year. They got some more gear. I don't even know what I'm allowed to talk about yet with that. So I'm not going to say what it is, but just keep your eyes peeled because they got some, the, some cool new <clears throat> waterfowl, waterfowl gear coming from final approach. Um, but you guys saw it last season. I was hunting with a lot of their gear and, and it was just all great. So, uh, the puffy jacket was definitely one of my favorite pieces. Wore that almost every single hunt. It's really lightweight, really thin and really warm. So check them out guys. Final approach over there and get whatever you need for 
your waterfowl needs. Also like to give a big thanks to Weatherby. Guys, Weatherby um, is known for their rifles, but it's it's high time that they are known for their shotguns as well. They're coming out with waterfowl shotguns, um, and they've, they've updated kind of some. They have the the Element shotgun now. They have the 18i. Um, it's a very a very good waterfowl shotgun. Um, first time I ever shot that 20 gauge, just fit me perfect, um, and I was knocking the birds down. So. Check them out, guys, over there, um, Weatherby, and specifically, I would, you know, I would check out the Weatherby 18i. Also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks, guys. Motion Ducks is the jerk rig on steroids. You guys probably know I'm going to say that before I said it because I say it every week because it is, it is just the truth. It's, it's the best option for getting motion in your set, you know, um, you just you just set it up there. They have the ultimate and they have the regular spreader. Um, the ultimate you can get seven ducks out there. The regular you get four. You put that motion. You put those ripples through your spread, um, and it's one of the most important puzzles puzzles pieces to the puzzle when it comes to finishing birds. Um, so check them out, guys. Use code DuckGun2020 over there, um, and you're going to get a great discount and a great product that's going to help you get more ducks on your strap. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump on in today's podcast. And I got an awesome guest today. I'm super excited for it. We got Del Bardon. <laughs> I probably butchered your name too, but um, super excited for it. You are down in central Louisiana. Uh, I've been following your stuff over there. Um, some of the content you put out and and the way that you do duck hunting um, is completely different from anything that, that I've ever seen or ever experienced. So how are you doing tonight, Del? Doing good, man. It's great to be on. Thanks for inviting me to be on here. Uh, yeah, I kind of, uh, kind of hunt the old, as old tradition over here in Louisiana, duck hunting. And, uh, I, I grew up with them old people and kind of, you know, followed their old ways and still hunt like they hunt. And, uh, so I, I guess I'm kind of what you call an old school hunter. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, a lot of lot to be said about that. I I feel like the tradition of duck hunting is is super cool, um, and you know I have not been a waterfowler for a long time, but I, but you know I've been in it long enough to see that um, it, it's just really cool to see the the different places and the different traditions uh, that people have, and and Louisiana is definitely steeped in waterfowl tradition, um, and you know you're you're kind of a living testament um to to that so uh super cool yeah uh years ago everything used to come to louisiana the whole migration and uh i can remember as a kid just mallards and ducks all over in the ditch well i say in the fields and you can kill all the ducks you want in the farm pond in the 60s and 70s and they used to do it a lot of old time, old farm people. But, uh, you know, it's not like that no more. But there's a lot of ducks. A lot of people killed a lot of ducks. And I had some old friends used to sell a lot of ducks. Now, this was before my time now. this, But uh, I used to go visit these old friends because I get, I love to get them duck stores. And, I, and as I got old and hunting, I'd always bring them ducks, when, and especially when they couldn't go anymore. And uh, I, I I would visit them for 30, 40 years. And they went to the nursing homes where they died. But I have a tremendous amount of stories from these people. And uh, 
So they kind of put a little foundation in me, along with my daddy. He was a big duck hunter. And uh, so I'm just taking what they, the stories I got, the way they hunt, and kind of creating my own old school way, I guess you could call it, but kind of hunting like they used to hunt, you know. Like, I'm a big fan, and, and I'm pushing this, that soft calling. I, I make videos, and I talk about it, but I was taught that by these, some of these hunters that used to kill. And the heyday, they'd line 30, 40 ducks, 20 to 40 in a bunch. And they try to get all they could. They learned how to call these ducks. And they taught me how. And uh, so I kind of, I build duck calls, cane calls. And I try to put that in those calls. And, it, and we hunt like that, me and my, my boys. And it's very, very, very effective. We kill a lot of ducks off calling. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely, definitely want to dive into a lot of stuff you talked, talked about there, you know, especially like the, the, the reason behind like the passion for, um, you know, the old school traditional way. Um, but I don't want to jump too far ahead into, um, the story and the content. So, um, you know, of the, the whole story you got, um, how long have you been duck hunting? Oh man, probably. This year, it'll be the 50th year I hunt, I'm hunting with my best friend. And who's I'll, I'll say with my, I'm 62 years old, and we started at 12 years old, and this will be the 50th I'm hunting with my same best friend. Oh, so wow. It's been over, I've been hunting over 50 years, you know, going with my daddy and all his daddy used to take us. I'd say a little over 50 years. Awesome. That's, uh, that's, that's crazy. That's just, uh, uh, it's unbelievable yeah. to think about a long time. how it's many a long seasons time to look back at it. Right. Right. What would you say the biggest change you've seen in, in that, uh, in that amount of time? The biggest change I've seen is the ducks don't get here like they used to. And they're a whole lot harder to kill. That's why I say about the way I call it. We have a place to hunt, but I've created a place to hunt. It's not fields. It's a nasty, nasty environment. In Dustin, Louisiana, and you can talk to 10 people. You can get 10 different answers, but I'm going to tell you something. Last year, I missed my limit four times. Oh, wow. And I hunted, I hunted a lot. I'm not a bragging man, but I learned over the years. why. Every time I go hunting and my boy does the same thing. We, it's a learning experience. The ducks go die. It's something they want. We try to create an environment they want, not what I want. And we hunting in some nasty button woods, they call button wheelers, but I think butt brush is what y'all call it. Right, right. Button woods, it's got a, it's about four or five foot of water. There's nothing as duck weed. <laughs> Them ducks are coming out for cover. I'm telling you. They want to get out all the, there's so many people hunting and shooting at them. And we got some little blinds in, in, in these places. And we just do, we, we're very successful, but oh, it took me a long time to create this spot and to learn all this. But, uh, I'm a big fan of soft call and I keep saying it. It helped kill ducks in a place like that because you don't want to blow them out. You want to be very shuttle when they're trying to work a bunch of ducks. Right. And, uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, biggest change is 
not the dog they used to be. And the hunting, uh, I've, I've hunted the days they didn't have food. I'm, no, I'm not a hundred years old, but I've hunted the days where they didn't have food. People hunted on horses. <laughs> the early 70s, I can remember that. There was no four-wheelers or three-wheelers, let me say. Late 60s, early 70s. So right now, they didn't have these mud motors, surface drives and all this. I used to go to Calahoo in the 70s and paddle my Piro, me and the same friend. You wouldn't hear nothing but your Piro going through that old wild millet jump shooting. Now they got so many boats in there, you can't hardly hunt over there and kill a duck. Mm. It's just too much running around, too much traffic, too much people riding, I guess. No more place for the scaring the ducks. And uh, they didn't have all that years ago. You couldn't get to a lot of places because you didn't have the transportation. So my personal self, I've seen a big difference. And uh, So you got to adapt to what you got now. And it's hard to kill ducks just anywhere, not like it used to be years ago. Unless you have a private piece of property or a place that, you know, of course, there's hardly no place that nobody goes no more. Mm. But, uh, yeah. So on, uh, with it, with, uh, the birds not getting there, do you have like a theory? Is it, they're not actually getting there or they're, they're getting tucked away with all the added pressure of, of boats and, and people out there or what's, what's your kind of thought on, uh, or is it just uh, the migration's uh, not reaching that far? That's the whole, that's the thing. Uh, Okay, now I remember in the sixties, the early seventies. I remember standing up with my dad. You could see fly ducks all day long, never on a good front, never stop. When I tell you a migration of ducks, it's unbelievable. The ducks that used to come here on these front days, that that don't happen anymore. Uh, people didn't buy land in the in the sixties and seventies. People didn't buy corn to throw in the ground. We had a feed mill. We sold corn then. Those old people would think you was crazy to waste a sack of corn to throw it on the ground. Mm. People didn't buy rent leaf blinds to hunt. There wasn't a lot of money circulating at the time. Just It wasn't a way people did. And I know some property now that I've got a friend. He's got uh, 3,000 acres of rice field. He gets $100,000 leasing blinds. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. I think he's got 15 blinds, something like that. But the, what I'm trying to say is, as of now, it's a money-making deal. And it's like that from here all the way in the United States. And people can say what they want. They didn't have all this. And they have that uh, NRS, uh, uh, what you, a government program you could put your land in WRP, CRPs that they pay you. They pay to put ponds. I did one, and they paid me to do a, a duck impoundment. Mm. So people are doing that all over the United States. Uh, and everybody do that, and people hunting, that takes away from a duck coming getting over here because they got more places to go. Ducks have a lot of places to go now, so they don't have to come all the way here to Louisiana. I'm going to tell you something. In, in the 70s, the more market hunters, I call them market hunters, uh, the more hunters that I used to visit that sold ducks killed most of that ducks in the 60s and 70s in Louisiana. When they cleared these bean fields in the six, late 60s, 
and everybody started planting beans. There was a lot of food and all all these ducks used to come down. That's when it started. Cause I mean that's what these people are telling me, these old timers. The bought a duck dick here, the sixties and the seventies. And and now it's everybody it's just, they don't come no more. Uh so do you think it's more it's isn't a lot of people when they talk about the migration and, and reasons why they think that birds might not be coming further south, they might cite things like um, you know, uh weather conditions, not having as cold of years. Uh, but you're kind of more talking about um like crops and different uh um, Yeah, weather too cuz last year it got 15 degrees the day before Christmas. That was a lot of we killed ducks for two days, and I mean, they name it the fresh duck. You can tell when they come straight in your decoys, big bunches. They had a big cold front in October last year that pushed a lot of ducks. It did push ducks to Louisiana. It was good last year in Louisiana. I'm not going to lie. Some people didn't do good. I, I guess they have a bad hole. The majority of the people I know had a good season. The year before last, we had a real good season. But uh, most of our ducks, we kill most of our ducks is great ducks and regions. Year before last, we killed eight hundred ducks. My crew. Oh wow. We had, we had ten mallards. Oh wow. Last year we had fifty to seventy mallards. Mm. It's mostly great ducks. We're killing a lot more regions. But listen to what I'm telling you. Them regions and great ducks are 10% grain eater. Okay. So they're not getting stopped. They're coming down the flyway because they're all over here. We could, They're all over Louisiana. So uh, that shows you the miles are getting stopped somewhere. They're not, unless it's real cold like last year, they'll have a push of them. But it's not like it used to be. I used to go in them fields and kill all the miles I want every time I went. And you can't you can't kill one or two now on average a year. Do you do you feel like that's affecting kind of the the hunting in your area in a negative way, or are people kind of adapting and and um, fine with killing your know, your gray ducks and widgeons? Well, that I'm happy with it. My bars are happy with it. We kill gray ducks, widgeons, wood ducks, teals. We kill a variety. And if I have to, I'm not saying nothing wrong with them. I don't shoot spoonbills or ringnecks. For the fact, I try to wait it out to kill, you know, decoy ducks or good ducks. I'm not saying they're not good ducks. But right. I probably, I don't want to kill sick ringnecks every time I go. Right, right. Try to hold out. And if it's a slow day, we'll shoot them. I'm not going to, you know, that's not wrong with them. I just, I like to stay in the blonde and hunt and call ducks. And I'm going to tell you something. People think it's unethical. I like to line ducks. People shoot them. I can shoot a duck flying. I don't have a problem with that. It's a it's a, a challenge to me to line ducks, especially a bunch, and to see how many I can kill in a shot. <laughs> now, that's what I learned from these old people. So, well, but, but before we go any further, that's an old tradition I'm carrying on. That's what it's about. I, I like doing that. It's not that I can't. I can shoot six ducks in a wing and kill six ducks. It's fun to line a bunch of ducks and line them up and shoot them. That, 
I heard so many stories from these old people that were selling these ducks and didn't have a lot of shells. It's just something I grew up with. It's, it's, I enjoy doing that. Right, right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I have nothing wrong with um, water swatting a duck. And, uh, but you do have some people who kind of get um, bent out of shape and they'll say, oh, it's, it's unsporting to, to shoot ducks on the water. Um, but, you yeah. know, I'm right there with you. Well, I feel like it's, it's, it's completing the challenge that way. Go ahead. Anybody can shoot a duck at 50 yards, no? Right. Or shoot that one. Shoot that one, right? <laughs> like Warren Coco said, when you put them on the water, you did something. Yep. That's what, that's what it's about. It, 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 it improved the skill of my calling. And you, when you put a bunch, when you line a bunch of ducks, when you're calling, you kind of learn what you did. It's, you know, it's like fishing and it's a learning procedure. I just like doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, 50 plus years of hunting. I'm sure you've gone through, um, quite a few different hunting partners. I have the same one I started with. So you, you just hunt with him mostly. You don't have like a, that's just, uh, that's mind boggling. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's he's my best friend. Been We've been best friends since I was eight years old. And still, so uh, when I was 12, I went, he come sleep at the house and I had, I still have that duck call. There was a fox and a cane call. Had two calls. We put a sheet of plywood, I put some decoys in my dad's pond. And we went that next morning with one gun. It was a Winchester 12, uh, 1200, not the model 12, the 1200. Mm. My daddy bought that gun for $35. And we went, got out of that car. We didn't kill no ducks, that, neither to say, but it was in a farm pond. We had decoys. That was our first, uh, first duck hunt. And it'll be 50 years this year. I've been hunting with that man. I could probably write a hundred books on the times we spent in the blind. That's awesome. The freezers, the at 83, 89, I can name them all. And we <laughs> was there and hunted every day. Hmm. Do you hunt? Good, good. Do you hunt pretty much every day of duck season every year? I hunt as much as I can, but it's not every day. Uh, when my bars is off of work, or they when they go, I'll go. I don't miss a day with them. Awesome. And I got two bars, one thirty, one twenty. Fixing to be twenty eight, twenty seven. And uh, I hunt with them. But right now, I retired from my job, and I, I'm making ten calls, and I have a whole lot of calls to make. So I, I, I do that half the time during the winter because I have to get them out, you know. Right, right. So I'll hunt the weekends mostly, make calls two or three days, and maybe go during the week, go back on weekends. I don't have no time schedule, really. And and I started traveling with these calls. I started tra- traveling up north. I went to Beaver Dam with Mike Board and Lamar Board this year. Uh, we filmed the Ducks Unlimited uh, a DU Nation deal. Uh, hunting with all old guns, man. 97s <laughs> and Model 12. You talk about fun. <laughs> that's super cool i i hunt with uh i hunt with quite a bit my grandpa's gun which i would consider an old gun which but maybe by your standards you'd uh consider a new gun but 
Um, when my grandpa passed away, he, uh, he, uh, left me his, uh, 20 gauge, uh, Browning a five. And I think it's from like, um, like 69 or, 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 uh, 1967, somewhere around in that, that age. Um, yeah. so it's, uh, <laughs> I can see kind of the, um, uh, the desire to, you know, hunt with old traditional stuff. It is, it is pretty cool, which we, we definitely need to dive into that. We hit on that earlier. Um, but w- you know, what is like the, the um, factor behind all that? Like, why do you have this passion to, um, hunt the old style with the old gear, the way the old timers did it, um, instead of like jumping to new gear, like I guess probably the, the, um, large majority of duck hunters do. I just, I just, I, I just like old stuff. Uh, it's a challenge. And I've seen these old hunters with them 97s growing up and hear all the stories. And like I told you, I spent my life with these old people. And now they got new guns with that camouflage. I never owned one of them. Although I bought uh, eight seventeen. It'll be 30 years old this year. And I shot it for 27 years without any other gun. I had one before. I got four, five, eight, seven. That is my gun. But I just started shooting them old guns a few years ago. I shot them old guns on and off. I mean, don't get me wrong, but that's all I shoot now for the last several years. Uh, it's just a, it brings me back like I'm doing them old people justice. It, it, Brings me back to another time. I guess if you're 20 years old, you won't do it. But at my age, brings me back to the old days. And uh, hunting with them old cane calls, that old gun, more handmade decoys. Kill a lot of ducks over them decoys. And I hunt with them every time I go in my P-Road. It's a whole new meaning to me, duck hunting like that. Then if I had to go, I'm going to tell you a little story. I got a shotgun that 1897. 40 years ago, a friend of mine purchased those two guns from an old hunter. I don't know who he bought them from, but that was a hunting license in the bud place from 1929. I made a copy at the bank. But it, it didn't come out good. It was 40 years ago. My, my best friend, the one I'm telling you about, ended up buying those guns and he gave one to my daddy, and he gave one to me as the years went on. My daddy passed on, so I got that gun. One, one's made in 1914, one's made in 1915. Oh, wow. It, it was a set. So I took that old hunting license, and I posted on Facebook about a year ago. As a fella came to me, or he messaged me or called me, I can't remember he said, that looks like my grandpa on that license. He said, can I come? I said, yeah, come on and see. So another fella asked me, hey, I, I have the original license. My, his daddy passed away, but the boy had the original license. Hmm. So he came to my shop, and I went with him, and we, I blew it up. Big, laminated, pretty. It was pretty reddish color, beautiful. So the boy that, it was his great-great-grandpa, I'm sorry, great-great-uncle. His name was Eugene Turner. <laughs> he bought me his picture and his life history. 
he was in World War One in France, and uh, he lived not far from here. So I have the whole history with the gun. So, in other words, when I go hunting now, <clears throat> it's not just with a gun. I went to Academy Sports and I bought a camouflage gun. I have the whole history of that shotgun, and it means something to me to hunt with it. It's, it's like hunting with a sacred piece. Right, right. My paddles, I've never bought a paddle my whole life, not once. I've been making paddles for 40 years. Whenever we kill a, like, you ever pull ice? I, I, I would burn in that bed. I use that paddle. I built it for that season. I put 800 ducks. The deer, we signed it. It's in my call shower. When I'm dead, that's going to be my boy's trophy to hang on the wall. I have several paddles in there with the years and all the ducks we kill. I don't do it every year, but I did a bunch, a good bit of them. I use a paddle, I build it, then I put the ducks on it and make a good trophy hanging up. So I have that in my call shop. That's going to be for them. And uh, everything I hunt with has a meaning. That's why it's so special to me. It's a connection. Let me put it that way. Awesome. Uh, awesome. It, it just, I don't have to kill. It's fun to kill ducks, but it's a lot fun to pilot my pirogue before daylight. That old dug all I made drinking some good coffee. And, uh, you know, enjoying the morning, you can hear the wings fly over. So, but, you know, I'm 62, so I guess it took me a long time to get all that going my way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. I hope at 62 I'm going as strong as you are um, and still, you know, finding uh, passion um, in waterfall. But we got to talk about these uh, porus. I ho- I'm probably butchering that too, but I've heard you say it a few times. I've actually seen some videos. You're talking about um, cypress trees and, and same thing, cypress trees with the paddles. And, um, so you, uh, you need to hit on all that cypress trees, your paddles and, and porus and, and all that kind of stuff that are part of that Louisiana tradition. Because as far as I know, you really don't hear that stuff in other places. Yeah. Well, my people, my people came, my daddy was a half bark long and a half mario. They're both French. They, the Bardons and Marius came straight from France to New Orleans in 1720, both of them. And when my mama saw it, they, her uh, mama, they come from France. They went to Canada. And then, uh, well, they stayed up there. My daddy met my mama in World War II in Fort Huachuca, but it's all, all French. Then, it, you know, he moved back to Louisiana when he got out of the war. But when the French people came to Louisiana, the Indians was making these dugout pirogues. It's pirogues, dugout pirogues. They, but the Indians would burn the inside out. And it was long boats, 30, 25, 30 feet long, maybe longer. So oh, the wow. French, the French, Took that they had the blacksmiths, the European tools that's more a little bit more educated. They took that same boat and they shortened it up like 12, 14 foot and made a one man pirogue called the dugout. Mm. They kind of used 
but they saw the Indians' technique, but they put their own twist to it. Instead of burning it out, they dug it out. Now, they started doing that, I'm going to take a guess, about 1750. Okay. So that's been a tradition all the way to the late eight. I'll say the 1900s because they started logging all these big trees in Louisiana around 1860, 1870. And by 1920, they was all finished. They would cut everything they had. There was no more big trees to make P-Rooms, dugouts. Everything went to plank boats around 1900, 1910. There was so much wood that they cut, you know, they didn't have to uh, you make a dugout. Although I powdered the dugout two weeks ago, made it 1910, my friend had. They're still around Louisiana. But for me, I choose to build my own. And I have an old friend in South Louisiana. He taught me how he built two of them at the World's Fire in 1984 in New Orleans. And he's a very good P-Rogue maker. And he taught me how, and I've built four of them so far. And that's why I, I build them to duck hunt. Not to say, look, I built me a boat, a dugout. No, I'll build it to duck hunt. So that's what I used to, I've been using them for 15 years, I guess. Awesome. And I got the, there's an old pattern that goes on that bottom from the 1700s. I got that from my partner. I have it written right here, the, the design. That boat paddles mine like a champion with that, you know. Uh, them old French people knew something about that. They, they were some craftsmen. But, uh, so I hunt more dugout and, uh, more shotgun, more. I got 30, about 30 cypress root decoys that never seen a power tool. I made them all with a hatchet and a draw knife. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the old way. That's what I started doing when I started. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do it like the old people. And I did. Last year, I put in, I have a spread of teals, hand carved teals. We had a big spread it out the teal season. I put them on the side. That's a full bunch of blue wings. They'd hover those big decoys and they said in them, my little softest decoy. What's a good feeling you ought to see that? Yeah. You understand what I'm telling you? I do. Yeah. That's uh, that's super. That's, yeah. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through your Instagram to kind of get, um, a good idea of, of what you're talking about with the Poru and, um, and all the, the decoys you got carved. And, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, you can tell that it's not just a, Hey, I'm hunting this day kind of thing for you. It's, uh, it's something that's always on your mind. It's more of, you know, who you are oh, than I what do. you do. No, no, I hunt like that every day, every day. Now, that's sometimes I go to other people hunting. I can't do that. I hunt with them, you know. But, uh, and my boys, they're picking up on that, you know. When I was 20, I didn't care much about a wood decoy or as I got older. Probably my late 20s, I started, I did. I guess I started carving about 25 years old. So, so do your boys, when you hunt with them, are they hunting, um, do they hunt traditional as well, or or what's their kind of take on the whole thing? Yeah, they hunt old school. My I got a my young boy. He just he got a ninety seven made in eighteen ninety nine, but I'm fixing to get it from him. He bought that to hunt because I hunt like that. He sees all the fun I'm having. 
And so he got him an old gun, and uh, he hunts with an old 870. I'm going to tell you something. We go, we bought 870s in a pawn shop. We've been doing that. Because the ones you get now, they're not nearly like the old guns. They're, they're not made with that good arm. Uh. So we go. That, that's my personal opinion now. Uh, so I go, we go to the pawn shop and find a, if you get something in the non-is box, non-is is a, I have a good 870. So do you shoot, do you shoot steel through that? Or, I mean, obviously you had it switch from, from lead in the nineties. No, to. Uh, yeah. It wasn't that 870? Right. Yep. Yeah. I shot steel, uh, but yeah, I had to put a choke, but, uh, I don't shoot steel no more. I shoot that ball shells. Right. That's all I shoot and everything. Awesome. That steel is good. It's not good, but it's good if you got your choke pattern to the shell you're going to shoot. That's what we find. Yep. Yep. You so, do a little homework. So, so something else you talked about is um, you got this unique way of toting out your ducks. Um, and um, can you talk on that a little bit? I can't even remember what you called it now. What is that barrel? Uh, it's like a wood piece with a strap that goes over your shoulder and you, you connect your ducks on that. Oh, that board. Yep. <laughs> that duck board. Is that I a, that Ramsey Russell had one from a foreign country and, and I said, man, that's cool. So I, I just made my own like that. I made one. I got several of them. You can, uh, it's a slot. You slot it down. I got a, like a screen door light you put on that. It can't come out. I got some for six ducks, and I made one for 24 ducks. But like when the season opens, it's mostly four of us hunting in my big blind, mm. and it holds 24 ducks, that big wooden strap. It, it's nice now. It's handy. But that's a load of ducks to pack out. Definitely, definitely. So I, I, got, a, I got a hot tip from, from Nate, and he, uh, he told me Nate is uh, our buddy from um, Falling Tide. And he makes some duck hunting content as well uh, down in Louisiana. So kind of your neck of the woods. But um, he had said to ask you about hunting uh, Catahoula Lake. You might have some yeah. stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's not far from my house. That's a, that, that lake's about 25,000 acres. The oh, shallow man. lake. A uh, lot, a lot of canvas bikes. It's, that's a canvas bike lake. It's a it's a darker lake. They got water shallow. Used to be a lot of mallards and pintails. It's a good pintail, but you know there's not a lot of them no more. But uh, we hunt down on and off. Me and my boys. We hunt. I, I've been hunting that for forty years. Not all the time. On and off on weekend. You know, a weekend here, weekend there during the week. We had some real good times at Calahula, but uh. That lake just become the, mostly private now. The, uh, and, it's, it, and it's still going on. They had lost, they had lawsuit for years and years. They got some, they got all wells on it. And, uh, one, somebody had some land that went out into the lake and they, you're not supposed to flood their land and they went to court. They warned and the other land owner jumped on. So they, as we speak, they, surveying it 
that started last year, it's going to take a couple of years, and most of that lake is going to be private. They mm. got a WMA, I think, like 2,400 acres in there. But uh, it's not going to be like it used to be. Mm. Is that something you you hunted kind of back in the day then? I hunted there all the time for 40 years, yeah. Mm. It's, 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 not, it's not going to the good. When you get my age, everything, it looks like, Everything goes the other way. <laughs> right, right. Things change. And <laughs> yeah, it's, everything changed mostly for the words, is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that does seem like an unfortunate trend with, with waterfowl. And, um, you know, and, and from you, you kind of get the 50,000 um, feet view down, you know, top view down, seeing kind of where it was and, and kind of where it's going. Um and, uh, you know, I think that's something that, um, maybe my generation is going to have to, to figure out, um, to keep duck hunting going, um, because it well, does seem like there's a lot of that where public land gets sold off private privatization. Um, and we got, you know, maybe about the same amount of duck hunters, but less and less access all the time. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, it's, well, I'll say guess where that's duck. We kill a lot of ducks. I'm not going to say there's no duck. I'm telling you what we're killing. I have a good spot of hunt, but it took me a long time to get it. Hunting it, you know, it's, it's a family deal. It's probably property. I'm not going to lie, but we worked. I mean, I can't get tarnished for it. My daddy bought that. We worked. I farmed that 22 years. I put my time in to pay for this place. Right. And uh, it's a family place. It's not like it's not a whole lot of property, but it's just the right size. But uh, it's a lot of land. People didn't buy land in the eighties. I think my dad was one of the first ones to do that. And when I was young, uh, we hunted anywhere we wanted. And my my the dad and the old people, everybody did that. People wouldn't say nothing. Now they want to shoot you, put you in jail. It's just and the, people barred up stuff, posting everything. It's like this deal with Calahula. The only thing I feel bad, there's a man somewhere out there has got a 12-year-old boy that he would love to go hunting. It takes away from that. That's what I, I don't like to see. Right. I love to see every kid go enjoy hunting with his daddy. There's nothing like it. And I wish all the kids could do that, but it makes it hard you don't have a lot of money, a place to go, it's getting difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's all over like that. Right, right. And then, uh, you know, what's kind of left is the public land areas. And you kind of talked about that with the pressure and the amount of people going around. It just it pushes the birds off. And, you know, maybe they're there for, you know, right when they get there on that, you know, that north flight, uh, northern flight and northern winds, you know, and, and they show up. And then that first day they get busted off by um, – a lot of that pressure. So that's kind of the, the unfortunate side of, of, uh, you know, the, the pay to play that you kind of see. So, um, right. right. Yeah. But anyway, we used to, I grew up going to the camps every weekend hunting as a kid, listening to those old stories, what a fireplace. It was some, it wasn't much of a camp back then. We had no heaters. And I'd hunt all weekend long in my pee room as a young man. 
all weekend. And my best friend would come meet me. We go together. He had to work. I had to work with my dad and my uncles. And I, I did that for 50 years. We go every weekend. We had a camp. And this is hunting. Uh, well, well, I'm talking about this is public land and a wildlife management area. And I had some of the best memories a man could have on it growing up in those places. Yeah. And, uh, Right here by my house, Spring Bar. We haunted that. We had to go sleep in a boat to get the spot. It's all part <laughs> of haunt. But I loved it. It's good memories. Uh, right. And, uh, so I did all that. And it's just, I can't give it up. I'm too old to stop, man. That's all I think about every day. And I make these <laughs> duck calls every day. So I, I'm talking with people like yourself right now. Two or three times a day at least. I guess you can say I'm haunting in the summertime, you know, because all this is the topic we're talking about. If you ain't talking about banking, <laughs> it's, you know, duck hunting and duck, uh, duck calls and all that. So, yeah, I kind of, that's the story of my life, I guess, that's duck hunting. Yeah, well, that's a, sounds like an awesome life to, to a guy like me, and I can definitely, uh, uh, I'm, I'm envious of you talking about your duck camps. Um, in Indiana, where I'm from, we really don't have, I would say it's not, we don't have a a duck hunting community. It seems like you find little places all across the U S where it's and it's like almost built in to the people. You know, you you talk about like the duck hunting capital, Arkansas, uh, Stuckuck, Arkansas. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a dog, a duck dog and, you know, everybody's backyard and, uh, a John boat yeah. in the front yard and it's, it's built, it's just tradition and everybody does it. And it sounds like in your area too, having those camps right, you know, right there and, um, and, and kind of meeting, meeting the, the old timers and hearing their stories. Um, so that's, that's just super cool to hear. Um, and you've been doing it for a long time as well. You know, we've kind of talked about that 50 plus years. And, um, you know, one thing I'd like to know kind of, with that connection to, you know, again, people, I'm sure you, you hunted with old timers when you were a young man. Um, did you hear stories about, um, you know, the, the market hunting air at all? Yeah. I, I had some, I used to, I had an old friend. He died. He was about two weeks away from being a hundred and a one. Mm. And he died with a good mind. And I'd go visit him often, and he he filled me my mind up with duck stories. He was a duck. He sold ducks for forty years in New Orleans. Oh wow! So he wouldn't tell me the name of the restaurant. He didn't want to, but a man would come get. They come get him. He didn't bring it. They come pick him up at his house. Oh wow! For forty years, and when the cell phone started coming out, he quit. He never got caught. It was a several of them that was doing that, and he had some people that would pluck them. And at one time, he had fifty ducks in his at his house hunting duck, live ducks. He brings four at a time. That's what he hunted with. <laughs> oh and, man! Uh, I got my other old friend. Uh, he taught me how to soft call. He could hardly speak English. He was born in 1920. In 19, uh, when he was nine years old, he told me how to single shot. 
and him and his daughter was haunting. Of course, his daughter was haunting to sell ducks. And a bunch of ducks lined, and at nine years old, that single shot, he shot him a mile of Drake and killed it. His daddy walked up to him and hit him behind the head. He said, what happened? He said, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> he said, you, you killed three or four in a shot. You wasting the shells doing that. <laughs> so that's how he started learning. And it, it, in 1932, him and his daddy went to the old store right, right here. Well, my old town. Got a 97 in there. Brand new. And his daddy said, his name was Sammy Poncher. He was 12. He said, how much is that gone? That, he said, $26. And the daddy said, cool. We ain't got that kind of money. Mm. So that the fellow at the store said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you that gun, but you bring me some clean mileage. That man had a glass box in that store with block art. And he'd sell ducks. You could do that back then in the 30s. He'd sell ducks in that store to the public. And no telling how much money he made off a of little old Sammy. <laughs> awesome. But then they went on. Sammy went on. They didn't have prejudice. And they put that duck in the live well, that water well, because it lasts four huh. or five days longer because it was cool. And when they get 100, 150 ducks, they go to New Orleans and sell them. Oh, wow. He did that a lot of times. So his brother had, his brother-in-law had a hardware store in New Orleans. He said, pull up next to the front door, open a tailgate, sell them like watermelon, sell every one of them. <laughs> and, uh, just, but I, I I had the opportunity to hunt with this fella about thirty five years ago. He's the man that taught me how to solve call ducks. And uh, he had an old wood call. I thought you had to have the loudest call. And until, until he taught me to show me, you know, it's a style of calling, control. And he did that, and he worked a bunch of ducks, and he was he was a. Like he told me, when you when you when you're trying to line 30, 40 big ducks to kill all you can a shot, you're gonna learn how to call. Them. You can't call them loud. You run them out. Mm. So he, I kind of got a first hand lesson. And you know, at the time, it wasn't a big deal. But now I look back at it. You know, I hunted with a man to kill a hundred, hundred fifty ducks in so many waters. That's a big deal when you get now. You know, no, because that's. That hadn't happened so long over here. That was a normal thing back long time ago. I mean, a lot of people did that. Ducks came over. You know, they came all the way down. But, uh, so that, that old man died at 96 years old. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super cool to, to hear his stories and, and cool to see you kind of, you know, uh, follow along in those traditions like you said uh uh kind of doing the the old timers and and their their tradition and and their ways of duck hunting justice you know and uh and uh the soft calling too that's uh uh sounds like that's uh a, a go-to for you um for your calling strategies and and that's something we haven't really talked about is um you're a call maker as well that's right uh i've been making calls for a long time uh 30 plus years 
for myself, not the public. And uh, I started making them soundboards behind at my work. We had a work in an old building. And it, I made about 10. I get discouraged. They wouldn't blow. I finally got one to blow. I was all happy, man. But then I really finally got one to blow. And I put it up. And when I started making them calls, I started, I took that one I saved and I had it molded out. So I put that soundboard in all them calls. But now that I'm making the cane, people really want them handmade cane calls. And, and, and so I re, when I retired, I've been doing that for about three or four years. So what, what kind of calls are they? Handmade what? Out of bam, cane calls, out of bamboo. Okay. Okay. That's an old Louisiana tradition now. Uh, that goes back to eight, 1860s in Louisiana. So do you still turn those like you would, like a wood call? No, I don't have a lathe. That's what I said. I make them all by hand. So they're carved? I guess I'm trying to figure out exactly, or they just uh, the actual shape me, of the cane. Let me start. Let me get to where they started in Louisiana. Sure, sure. Duck calls came out around 1850, 1850s, I think in Illinois. All the ducks came to Louisiana and the big sports come to Louisiana. So the, the, the French people never seen that, a duck call. And when they did see it, they looked at it and it had a hole, you know, it had a hole you blow in. They didn't have no electricity. They didn't have no power tools. But it was full of cane in South Louisiana, river cane. That already had a hole in it. So they figured quick, I can make a duck call with this. They ain't got much work to do, you know. <laughs> so that's how it started in Louisiana, probably 1860. And they put uh, in uh, cane material for reeds, anything they can. There's not a written way to make a cane call. There was no money back then. People used whatever they had. So some people use a Model T headlight. They beat it down. Some people use Prince Albert tobacco can. The, uh, whatever they found. Then it went on to hard rubber reeds in the late 1800s. And that's what it Everybody used that until the, the 60s, 1960s. They take an ace comb and fall it down and make a read with it. And uh, that got all over South Louisiana, you know, word of mouth. So, and so that's how it, they use cedar for soundboards and the old ace comb for reads. That's an old Louisiana cane call tradition. Hmm. So how well, do they, oh, am I, am I uh, cutting into your story there? Do you, <laughs> no, no, go ahead. So how do they, gonna, how do they compare as far as like the sound I guess I'm I'm just curious as far as like wood versus the the cane or um, is that like a, a a better sound than wood or is it just like part of the tradition or, or it's a very, no no it's a very it's a it's very very dense that cane very dense it's probably like a one of your heart like a cocoa bullet hole okay and it's very very mellow. I know Rick Don. Uh, he uses he loves to use a wood call over uh, those uh, acrylic. acrylic because of it's mellow. 
Bamboo's just like that. Sounds just like a duck, man. It carries a good tone. Awesome. Uh, I wish I had a call in my shop. I should have bought some here. I don't have none on me. I could have blown it for you, but uh, but you can look on my page, my body beast page. I got a bunch of videos. Okay, it's a very good, it's a very very good sounding call. We kill plenty of dust with these calls now. So I make, I make them all by hand. The uh, what it fit in the bow, the big bow, the little. I I, I got a jig. I file that down, and it's all handmade. Uh, and I don't want to relate because it's not, it's cheating. I like to do it the old way in honor of this is how it's supposed to be done. That's why I'm doing it. Awesome. And see, and I got a long wait list. And just, and you know, I got sales. And so I'm very happy and I make calls every day. It's just that I can't get them out fast enough for the public. And I can't, I got my boy, he has to make the call, but he can't make this. I can't hire nobody to make them soundboards. Mm. Now I find my own wood. I go in the river, find me a log, come home, cut it up. I make all the soundboards out of that. That's what I do. I do it all from scratch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm beginning to, to feel like that's, uh, the, the standard for you, you know, kind of the the traditional way with everything i wouldn't do it no other way if somebody <laughs> bought me a take pocket and put it up and said mr borlaw you can make 30 calls a day tell them to, if you don't get it all here i'm gonna sell it and that's not me right yeah I, I had a big call maker come here and he told me that what if you put a late right there choom, choom. <laughs> yeah but i ain't doing it it wouldn't be hiding me i i, I i'm gonna do it but it's cutting in on my time because I'm it's hand it takes a while. I gotta take one day preparations to make soundboards. I got a it's all cut by hand. I got a handmade jig I got and I groove out that tone board. I don't know how I can speed it up, but I can't hire people because who wants to buy a call? The that that man ain't gonna make a soundboard like me. I know how to do it. Right, and I knew how I knew how to make a soft call and a loud call. I've made a thousand calls behind. Every time I make a, I'm not bragging, but every time I make a soundboard, I study it to see how what I did to make it sound like that. So I can pretty much, I can pretty much make the call the person wants. What he tells me, I mean. But I make a loud call, which is a regular call. I make a soft call. That's the two calls I make. I make a wood duck and a teal now out of bamboo. So uh, that's the calls I make. And most people want them soft calls because it really works. I, I mean, last year I got a lot, a lot of feedback. People can a lot of ducks with them soft calls. Mm. Not blowing them up, especially in the timber. You can get low in acrylic. I'm not saying you can't. But you can get low on that cane call, partner. Way lower. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm definitely. Uh, I've seen them on your page. I'm gonna have to pay a little closer attention. You got. You definitely perked my interest with uh, um, how you've talked about them and, and the difference. I, I did not realize that they were uh, made out of cane. So um, that's. Oh yeah. That's and look, cool. I don't. I don't buy no cane. I go cut my own bamboo 
I got some sources. Me and my boy, we went to Hogberry. Uh, That's two and a half hours from here. We cut a load at a friend of mine. Come back. I put it in the shed or I cut it up and I age it. That's a process I do to all that. It's, every day right here, I'm doing, I'm fooling with King. If it's aging it, cutting it up or making duck holes, I'm doing something with that bamboo. So uh, it's, I don't go to the mail. I don't go in a magazine and order me. Hey, I want four blocks. Here's my credit card number. I don't do none of that. I'll go hands-on cut everything I got in my shop and I cut everything and uh, do it all by hand. I'm, I, while you got me here, I'm fixing, I got a shop, I got an old shop. It's like a Cadiana building. I'm fixing to add on, I'm going to make a dirt floor shop like the 1800s. <laughs> and right now I'm making me a table with handmade wood vices. I have vices in my shop now that I bought at Lowe's. I have jigs, one for the big bow, one for the little bow. I have a vice. I twine these calls with some string, like the old calls. I got a vice. I put my soundboard. I have four vices. And I, well, I file my soundboard down to tune it. I'm making me a table right now out of some old, old, old wood, old softwood. I started on today, and I made my vices already. The each, I got a jig for that each jig I have. Wood vices, like the 1800s. So when you come to my shop, you're going to really be in back in time if you, when I'm fixing the same then the wood I got for the shop, I cut the tree down. It's a tree that died, a big cypress. I cut it up. I got it stacked right here next to my, my shop. There's a storm that I had while I hunt a month ago. I went last weekend. I cut it's some oak. I cut a big log up, and then I'm going to cut another one maybe this weekend. I'm going to haul it out that swamp, get it cut. I'm going to build my shop with that. I'm not buying nothing. Don't be all old time, you know. Do it like they done it. That's I'm excited right now just to go in the woods and cut that tree. Awesome. Because I got I got hands on everything I'm doing. It it makes it worth everything. Right. When I kill it when I when I kill a duck and I go pick it up in my pee room, I'm piling something that took me two months to build. I didn't go to the store here, five hundred dollars. I want that P room. You have no connection and no meaning when you do that. Mm. Jordan, I have a strong connection in everything I do when it comes to duck hunting. The P room, the paddles, the gun, right? The duck calls, everything, and that's what makes it to me keep chasing this. this passion I'm on about waterfowl hunting. Definitely. Definitely. It's uh man, it's uh it's just uh super cool to hear, super kind of refreshing too to to hear it just from a a really different kind of avenue than I think most people um 
go at the the sport of waterfowl hunting. So, um, def- you know, I'm gonna tell you something. I talked to a lot of people. There's a lot of people. The majority of the people they like the old ways, old things, old guns. They got a class of people that don't. The reason I'm saying that, I, I know it. I talk to a lot of people. People like that old stuff, man. Definitely. So I, I think it may, you know, somewhere come back and cycle. Hopefully. Right. Right. It's uh, you know, anything uh, anything uh, worth doing is worth doing right, and and it's it's pretty cool seeing uh, you know, uh, you doing waterfowl justice and doing the tradition of waterfowl justice and the, and those that have come, you know, before you've passed on those, those stories to you and, and the, the ways of the traditional ways of duck hunting. So, um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. I don't want to step on nobody's toes here, but there's a, there's some people I know. And, uh, or let me say, I've heard the comment. Not, I'm not mentioning. They they make decoys now with all the feathers and all. People think they're killing ducks that's helping them. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because I'm using my handmade decoys and I hunt with those feathered ducks. Not all the time. I've seen a lot of ducks landing them handmade decoys and not them flock feathered ducks. I'm at the age and I have the equipment to use both of them. My personal experience, I'm seeing, well, I don't think, I think when you kill a duck, you got a good wind. It's a win for that day. It's a good day. It's a, they're not seeing you. Your blind's not sticking out. It makes them decoys look good. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. I definitely understand what you're saying there. (laughs) But I've got wooden decoys. And they're not the best pants in the world. And I, I kill all the ducks I want with them ducks. And awesome. I have a round bottom. I'm going to tell you something now. Them old French people in Louisiana. A round bottom decor. Sarkis root decor. It has so much, like a jug. Then people in Calahoula Lake use thousands of jugs because it's round. It has a lot of movement. Them top, them decoys are the same way. It has so much movement. It's so lifelike in your spread. And you got, I got a couple with a pull string. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> what you can, with a round bottom decoy I'm talking about. Mm, kind of bobbing all around and, and it, getting... ha, it, it just has a good movement. Sarge to Sarge, little bobble here. It's real, real realistic looking. Awesome. Yep, I've never, uh, I've never uh, experienced the hunting with a uh, hand carved decoy. So it sounds like, uh, sounds like you got quite the the set of gear for that as well. Well, I've been hunting with it for uh, thirty years now, thirty plus years. Awesome. And if I wouldn't be killing ducks, I promise you, I wouldn't be using them. <laughs> but they, you, we're killing ducks with them. Yes, sir. Yep, that's uh, <laughs> I guess that's a testament to to uh, 
uh, those being a viable option still. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And I got more. I, I got me a barrel. I picked the bomb and another barrel. I got me. I got me a couple of barrels that I hold my ducks in. So I go to the camp. If somebody wants to buy a barrel to put that duck pen, make sure you get an inch. Uh, they got different size an inch, it's, and all that's going to be water wood. Well, the reason why I, it's a, you I said it's a barrel, a barrel for your ducks. Yeah, I put my duck pen on a uh, old whiskey barrel. Okay. In the old days, that was a yeti. In the late 1800s, 1800s, <laughs> through on uh, South Louisiana, they shot ducks, the market hunters. They bought them to the, like, like at Lake Cross, they had an ice house, they had a Cooper's mill. They put them in barrels of ice, they had a train that shipped them to the French market to sell them. Everything was shipped in barrels. From there, they were sold to eat, or they were put on a train and sold to other uh, cities. Baton Rouge, Alexandria. They shipped them all over. They shipped in my little hometown right here uh, in Hesper, where I was raised at the depot. I understand. Everything was auctioned by. So the way I hunt now, I have a 15-gallon barrel. I have a 55-gallon wooden barrel. I had a lot of people mess with me. They want to hunt. They want a barrel like I got. Well, I bought mine at the barrel mill. The name of, if you Google the barrel mill, but I think they, they got a, they buy collar. They got a long list. But what I'm saying is when I'm at the camp, I put some ice in it. I freeze my ice. We clean out ducks. Then I put them in the barrel. I put six on a string. I stick them in the ice water, and on my lid, I got a, a, a clip where I clip that line. Well, I want to dig for it in the water, I mean. So when I open the barrel, the string is there, I can just pull them out. So I put, I got three of them, that's three-day limit I can put in that barrel. Unless I put somebody else in, I tag it. But hmm. the reason I do it, that's them at the camp to get to my house. Then when I get home, we cut their heads off and freeze them, or I'll bring them the next day to some old people. I'll give a lot of ducks away. But if somebody's going to get them, I'm doing that because that's how it was done in the market hunting days. It's a, it goes with the gun, the decoys, everything. It's a sport for me. Hmm. Got a bow with a top with a handle. I got a bungee cord to hold it down. And uh, my lid, and it holds ours all weekend. But what I'm saying is, if somebody wants to buy, make sure you get an inch thick. They got different sizes. You need to ask that question. I got a 15 gallon barrel. I'm fixing to order me a 10 gallon, not from the barrel mill, from another place. Because uh, they booked up. And I'm, I'm, I wish I knew I would tell people why. I'll, I'll post it on my page. Definitely. Dale P. Bordel. I have my duck call page, Body Beast Calls, and my personal page, Dale P. Bordel. I'll post it on that. 
I'm going to get one pretty soon. Uh, the 55 gallon, if you, they used to pack 50, 60 ducks. That's what that's for. That little 15 gallon is perfect, but my next one's going to be a 10 gallon. It don't, it, you don't need as much arch as what I'm getting at. Right, right. Yeah, actually, I, I did find it on your, uh, your page there and pulled it up. So yeah, that's your, uh, your old you school cooler. Yep. The Bay- the Bayou Beast duck barrel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so George, as we speak, when I go hunting, I'm market hunting every day, man. Cause I got the guns, the decars, the barrel, the, the P-Row, like go market hunters. I'm in hog heaven. Awesome. That's definitely, uh, you're definitely, uh, doing it. That's for sure. And every, in every sense of the, in every sense of the word. So everything I do, I got the lanterns. I don't use my lantern every time, but I make about three or four old school hunts with that lantern in the morning. (laughs) I do it the whole nine yards. That's, that's fun, man. Oh yeah. That's super cool. Well, Dell, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on here. We're, all, we're rolling a little past the hour mark, but I think we probably could probably could keep going for another hour. Uh, you got uh, 50 years of knowledge and stories, uh, and I'm glad that you shared just a little bit, a little piece of that um, with me and the, the listeners of the podcast. That's uh, uh, I've definitely uh, gained respect for you and, and the way you've done it. Um, listening to those stories firsthand. So, um, you did mention a couple times where you can be found, but you know, let people know where they can find you across social media. Um, whether it's just to check out kind of the old school style you're doing, or, or if they want to check out your calls or anything like that. Yeah, they, if my duck call page is Bayou Beach Calls. Now I have a pretty long waiting list. I got it's because it's time consuming. Anybody that comes to my shop, I can get, you can buy a call or as many as you want. I keep about 20 or 30 on hand for that reason. Other than that, I build calls every day and I ship them out about every other day. Value Beast Calls. If you want to look for my Facebook page, Dale P. Bardmon, and I have a lot of stuff on there about killing ducks. You can scroll through it uh, last hunting season, a bunch of pictures, and that old duck barrel and all. But, uh, yeah, John, I enjoyed it. Thanks for letting me tell my testimony. I'm an old school hunter, and I love it. And uh, if anybody has any questions, you can reach me. You can message me or whatever. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, Dale. for having me on. Yep, it's been, it's been a pleasure, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. All righty, folks, I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles, and Dale, the Bayou Beast. And we'll see you guys on the next one.